Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it's episode 35 for the love of the game. Let's get it rolling. Back in the studio, episode 35, and I'm building myself quite a catalog these days. Man, 35 episodes in already, kind of crazy. Thanks again to all the listeners, my studios that I've recorded in, subscribers and loyal fans. I love doing it. You guys help me and motivate me to do it even better each and every day, each and every episode. So shout out to all of you. All right, so... A lot has gone on since last week. Uh, the L.A. Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox will square off in the World Series start tomorrow night. The Red Sox took care of business against the Houston Astros in five games. Shouts to David Price and his first career playoff win, 1-10. Things are looking up for him. Um, not going to lie, though, uh, as a Yankee fan this year, I am saltier than normal about a Red Sox run. Uh, it's not just the fact that they embarrassed the Yankees in the divisional round. That's for sure a factor, but uh, not the only factor. I don't know what it is about this Red Sox team and this run that makes me realize that roughly 98% of things that have to do with the city of Boston are pretty terrible. So uh, screw the city of Boston, and for you 2%ers, well, uh, I guess you uh, are exempt uh, as for the National League, Dodgers uh, outlast the Milwaukee Brewers in seven games and are going back to the World Series like they did last year. They hope for a better outcome this year, and I do for them as well. More on the World Series to come later on in the show. Uh, NBA tipped off last week. Thank God for NBA season, and I may overdose on NBA season. It's it's just simply the best. A couple of notes from the first week of the season, and yes, you can't really overreact two to three games in uh, for most teams, but there are a few things that I've noticed that I think will be major themes and trends to watch out for for the rest of the year. So the first one is the Houston Rockets uh, are just an abysmal defensive basketball team right now. Yeah, uh, it's been covered a lot that they lost Trevor Ariza and Luke Rashard Mbamute, two of their best wing perimeter defenders in the offseason. 
but it really looks ugly right now for them on the defensive end. I mean, I can't imagine that it was going to be look this grisly, uh, but it, it sure does. They can't stop anybody at the moment. I know in the NBA preview episode, my partner in crime, Ben Siegel, and I were both really bullish on the Rockets' uh, wins over for the year, and I still think it's a pretty good bet, uh, but I do not see them getting anywhere near the level that they were at last year. I mean, they were in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals and were a potentially uh, a Chris Paul injury away from actually going to the NBA Finals. Uh, they're not getting there this year. They're not going to achieve that kind of level of success this year. I think their win title window with this team has pretty much closed and for somebody who hates on James Harden the way I do and I don't particularly like Chris Paul either and this Rockets team as a whole I'm here for all things anti-Houston Rockets and speaking of bad defense I mean week one scoring numbers were crazy high in these games I mean you were seeing you know teams regular get into the 130s uh Vegas couldn't seem to set the uh over-under point totals high enough for the first week. I think um, the pace of play is super fast right now. Things will even out a little bit, but still uh, kind of a a crazy pace in terms of the number of points being scored. Nice segue to uh, observation number two. Uh, One team that's playing great defense to start the year, especially when that was a major question mark and concern before the season started, was the Denver Nuggets. Really, really, really good week of basketball for them, fueled by their uber-talented and uh, Ben Siegel's man-crush center Nikola Jokic. If this trend continues, my prediction of the Nuggets missing the playoffs again and going against all the uh, NBA hipsters is not going to look great, so we'll see how that goes, but uh, good on the Nuggets for a very impressive week from them. Uh, This year's rookie class looks like it's going to be a really good one, just like last year's class was. DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic look to be the head of the class. But right now, you know, guys like Marvin Bagley, Trey Young, Wendell Carter, Kevin Knox, pre-ankle injury, Miles Bridges, Shea Gilgis-Alexander have all shown major flashes. I mean, it's just astounding how much really good young talent there is in the league right now. Uh, The league is really in a a great place in that respect. Uh, Number four, speaking of last year's rookie class, we have maybe have three future MVPs from last year's rookie class uh, between Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. I mean, my goodness, have they all been impressive. Jason Tatum just abused the Knicks this past Saturday night. You know, all three of those guys, I think, are going to make their first all-star appearance this year, uh, one of many for each of them. Another second-year player of note, my guy Malik Monk, who I loved before the draft uh, in Charlotte, has been balling. Uh, I never sold my Malik Monk stock last year, even though he had a tough year. Love the way his game is progressing. Uh, Last year's rookie class is exceedingly stacked, and yet the Knicks end up with Frank Nilakina, a pick that by comparison looks worse and worse every single day because, of course, that's what the Knicks do. Uh, I mentioned Jason Tatum, um, and right now I think we uh, have gotten to a point where it's time that he be recognized as the Celtics' best player. I know he's only 20 years old, but it it's here. He's the Celtics' number one guy. Kyrie Irving has been supplanted in that respect, and uh, this may sound crazy, but you're going to hear it here first, uh, unless you heard it somewhere else. I doubt it because, uh, you know, I'm just that dude, uh, but... If I were Danny Ainge in the offseason, I would pay Terry Rozier uh, the money he's worth. Um, I would let Kyrie Irving walk in free agency and give the keys to Chase and Tatum because that guy is that good this early and 
it, it's just it's his team, and and it should be as such. And I that would be the prudent move for me, given where Kyrie's injury history is and where he is um, at this point of his career and his age and and, and other factors. Number five, Anthony Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo look like absolute monsters. I mean, that we all expected this. I mean, it's not something that came out of left field, but it looks like they're going to finish one and two in this year's MVP race uh, in some capacity. Obviously, it's way too early to tell anything, but, you know, those guys look to be on the short list of, of MVP candidates. The other guy who can really join the mix, though, is uh, Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors uh, because the Raptors are a scary team, and he's looking better and better uh, every day. I mean, he's not quite the same player as he was before he had this injury, but he's getting pretty close. And if he gets all the way back, because he looks pretty good to start the year, the Raptors are going to be a really frightening team. So uh, keep an eye out on Kawhi Leonard in this MVP mix as well. And lastly, a word on the New York Knicks because it's my duty to report on them uh, even if they aren't and won't be relevant this year, and that is uh, the case this year. Saturday night's loss against the Celtics was the perfect outcome for the New York Knicks. Why, you ask? Well, I'm about to tell you. They showed grit, heart, and toughness. They played ultra hard and were super competitive. They played good defense against a really good offensive team. And they may rack up losses right now. Um, But... That won't be such a problem because it's really going to help their uh, potential draft standings and with their ability to get another blue chipper in the the draft. Um, It'll also allow them to be ultra careful with Kristaps Porzingis and his uh, rehabilitation. There's no need to rush him back. You want to showcase him at the end of the year to make sure he's healthy uh, and looks good like he did last year at an all-NBA level. But there's really no reason to rush him back. Uh, let the young kids play, play for the ping-pong balls, and then you make your move in the offseason. Now, if you're super competitive and you play the way you played um, Saturday night, and yeah, you lost the game late and, and it's a tough loss, but being competitive like that breeds winning culture. It breeds you know, winning habits ultimately down the line. And prospective free agents such as Kevin Durant and possibly even Kyrie Irving and maybe a trade for Damian Lillard. Who knows? These guys take notice when you have a young team like that that's proving themselves and that they're coached well, that you can be the star to put them over the top, especially in New York City. People are going to want that. So all in all, it was a uh, a really I I know it's like a little cliche, but it was like a statement loss for the New York Knicks Saturday night. I mean, they've played three competitive games. I mean, they blew out the Hawks opening night at the Garden. But if the Knicks can just be competitive and lose a bunch of games like they did in uh, MSG Saturday night, that's ultimately a good thing. I mean, Coach Fisdale looks like a major positive, and the young kids got to grow up a little bit and take their lumps, and that's what this season is for. Um, before I get to the last thing on the New York Knicks, because obviously, you know, the L.A. Lakers and LeBron James are in the headlines. You know, there was the fight in Houston, whatever. I mean, Laker fans, just just calm yourselves down a little bit. It's going to take a little bit of time for this Lakers team to gel. I mean, they really could use a really good three-point shooter right about now. I don't know why they weren't in on a guy like Seth Curry in the offseason or even a guy like Nick Stauskas who burnt them in the first week. But Laker fans, it's not going to look pretty early but you'll get there. Uh, before we get on to the NFL, last thing on the Knicks, um, and they're making moves this offseason to potentially bring in two max-level uh, free agents, max-caliber players in the offseason. 
Now, this would mean probably that Enos Cantor, their center right now, uh, who's a great team ambassador, a great Twitter and Instagram follow too. Just a good guy, funny guy. Uh, he's kind of like the modern day Charles Oakley. He prides himself in being a Nick and takes it very seriously and is doesn't really back down from anybody. Well, he would probably be a sacrificial lamb uh, if he doesn't take a huge discount if the Knicks are in fact able to get two uh, max level free agents. And Honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this because I've been ragging on him all the time for his defense, uh, especially in the pick and roll. But if that happens, I'm going to miss Enos Cantor. Uh, I think uh, Enos Cantor is a great dude, and he really takes pride in playing in MSG. And he's, you know, a solid, solid player. Uh, and he plays hard every night. Now, Tim Hardaway Jr., on the other hand, uh, along with Trey Burke and Lance Thomas, well, I won't be nearly as sad to see them go. Uh, in fact, I can't really uh, pack their bags quick enough. But in fact, if this is Enos Cantor's last year in the Garden, uh, it's going to be a you know it's going to be a bittersweet end um, to his time with the Knicks. All right, so that's enough basketball talk now because it's only been one week. So uh, let's get into a couple of quick NFL notes before we get into tonight's guests. Uh, quick hitting topics. So the Los Angeles Rams. Keep rolling, fools! They're the best team in the league by a, a pretty wide margin at this point. Uh, There's a crazy stat that their star running back, Todd Gurley, is responsible for more total points than the Buffalo Bills have combined as a team. Gurley has produced 88 points this year. Buffalo has produced 81 points this year through seven weeks. That's just a ridiculous, ridiculous stat. Now, the Rams may have the number one seed in the NFC locked up by the end of the month, which would be kind of crazy. Showtime Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, continues his amazing play and his Buddy Kareem Hunt, partner in crime for the Chiefs. Uh, Well, he isn't too shabby either. I mean, what an offense they have with those two and Tyreek Hill. Last night against the Bengals, uh, a solid Bengals team, might I add, was just a clinic and an ass-kicking. Oh, and to all those who bet the over last night, uh, that's just a brutal, brutal, brutal loss. Uh, I'm sorry for all of you. Uh, The NFC East stinks. The Eagles, the defending Super Bowl champs, stink. The division winner this year may only win seven games. Hold on to your thoughts on the NFC East. We're going to get back to that in just a second. The Patriots' offense looks like it's rounding into form. Josh Gordon is getting super comfortable with them, which would mean trouble for the rest of the AFC. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars, on the other hand, Another team that was uh, predicted to do big things this year. Now, they're in major trouble. Blake Bortles was trash Sunday and was pulled out of the game. Their defense hasn't been particularly good uh, this year either. They need some shot in the arm or some energy to, to right the ship there. The Cleveland Browns lost again in overtime. I mean, just so amazingly Cleveland that they've lost in overtime this many times this year. Oh, and I was 4-0-1 in my pick five against the spread this week. So now I'm back over 500 at a record of 18-16-2 for the year. Uh, Great success. All right, so back to the NFC East, as I mentioned before, and the shit show that it is. Uh, Yesterday's game between the Cowboys and the Redskins. Wow. Just wow. As you all know, I've been on record saying the NFL product week-to-week is a bad product. And two of the major reasons for that are bad situational play and bad situational coaching. And I'm not an NFL expert. I'm much more of an NBA guy. But even I know how not to execute down the stretch of a game. And man, did the Cowboys put on a clinic yesterday, a show on what not to do to close out a game yesterday. So let's fast forward to... uh, 
Third and 14 at the Dallas 10. Uh, backed up in their own end zone down by three, just under five minutes left. The Cowboys just committed a holding penalty to back them up on third down. Dak Prescott takes the snap, drops back, deep in his own zone. The ball, you know, he's sacked. Ball comes out, and the Redskins score on a sack fumble. They score a touchdown, go up 10. Now, if there's any trouble whatsoever uh, for the quarterback in that situation, that ball needs to be thrown away. You cannot take a sack. And you sure as hell cannot fumble the ball there. The ball's got to come out, and you got to live to play another day. I mean, just a terrible decision by Dak trying to make something out of nothing when absolutely nothing was there. But credit to Dak and the Cowboys. They come back and score quickly to pull within three. They force a three and out and get the ball back with 109 left on the clock. Now, the Cowboys drive the ball 33 yards rather quickly. They have a first down at Washington's 37-yard line with one timeout left and 52 seconds remaining on the game clock. They are in great shape at this point to potentially win the game with a touchdown or at least get an easy short field goal to tie it. And then this sequence happens. Get ready for this. They go ultra-conservative, a six-yard completion over the middle, and a three-yard run just to center the ball. They only run two plays with 52 seconds left. Normally, you should be able to run a lot more plays and be aggressive, but they only won, I should say, they only run two plays to settle for a 47-yard field goal, which in Washington, D.C. yesterday was no gimme to uh, put the game into overtime. Just terrible. I mean... How can you be so conservative at that point in the game? Just just so ridiculous. Uh, and then, to make matters worse, they get a snap penalty, uh, a snap infraction, costing them five yards. So now with three seconds left, they're forced to kick a 52-yarder to end the game, uh, to put the game into overtime. And guess what happens? They miss the field goal. It goes off the, uh, the uprights. Uh, no good, and they lose at the buzzer. Now, just Awful coaching, awful execution, everything was just awful. I mean, there are a lot of bad coaches in this league right now. Hugh Jackson for the Browns, Bill O'Brien for the um, the actually surging Texans, uh, Pat Shermer for the Giants is no great shakes, but Jason Garrett for the Cowboys is by far the worst. It is ridiculous uh, and unfathomable that this guy, after all that he's done the last couple of years, is still employed by the Dallas Cowboys. Just a brutal loss for them, which uh, brings uh, a smile to my face because I hate the Dallas Cowboys. Um, just just awful. I mean, just a prime example of why the NFL product kind of stinks and why it seems like nobody knows what they're doing. And that's for the latest installment of why uh, we scratch our heads watching this game. Uh, and that's it for uh, this NFL segment. And we're going to get on to our guests in just a minute. It's uh, World Series time. Uh, I promise to have them back as a duo. Uh, we're running the uh, the triangle offense tonight. It's my uh, my good friends Phil Bausk uh, and Moshe Cook, recurring guests, biggest baseball fans I know. Uh, had to have them back. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, these two fine young gentlemen are very frustrated Dallas Cowboy fans. So I'd like to rub a little salt in their wound for a little bit. Guys, how are we doing? We're doing good, but like, I'm not sure that a Giants fan should be rubbing salt in anyone's wound. Yeah, that is the Cowboys are. Yeah, but it's just how New York fans are. They're, they're always either going to complain about something that's going on with them or deflect and 
talk about other people's, you know, misgivings. Fair. Okay, so, but, <laughs> fine. Okay, you, you've actually summed us up to a little bit of a T. But, uh, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I wanted from your perspective, uh, the both of you, what to you was the most incredibly frustrating thing about that last minute nine seconds? Bill, do you want to start? Sure, I'll, I'll take it from here. I will say I, I listened to it on the radio because I was driving home, but the analysts on the radio were very, were very keen at pointing out a couple of things. One, that Dak Prescott was not hitting anybody in stride, um, which would have made things different from what I understand. I watched the highlights, and I, I do agree. On one of the, uh, the thing, the second to last, or maybe third to last, easily catch that if he hit them in stride, there's a, a bigger game. Um, and just a lack of urgency, uh, the poor use of play calling. I don't like the running Zeke into the line essentially to set up the kick. I don't think that's a good move. There's, there's a lot to unpack, um, but it's. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I said that anytime. There's, I feel like every field goal they've taken the tire with a game in the last. 10 years has been 49 yards or longer. Right, Moshe? Would you say that? Yeah, it's probably pretty accurate. I mean, I don't think yesterday was any different from, say, the end of the game against Houston in overtime a couple weeks ago when they had, like, fourth and one in Houston territory and they punted and basically played to tie and they ultimately lost that game. And there was some crazy stat where in the Zeke Dak era, they are... have some insane high 90s percentage of picking up fourth and ones. It's been the same. I mean, again, like I heard this, I don't know if it was on Simmons' podcast or whatever, uh, but if Garrett was fired tomorrow, what team would be lining up to hire him for anything? Ron Simmons' podcast? What? Ron Simmons' podcast? Yes, Ron Simmons. (laughs) That's a WWE joke for all of us there. All right, all right, all right. Let's 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 try it. Let's let's try and keep it uh, a little straight (laughs) over here, right? What I was saying is that if if Garrett was let go, nobody would be lining up to hire him as a quarterback coach or an offensive coordinator or as a head coach. I think he is playing an NFL game that is vastly different. Let's say if you watch the Rams and Sean McVay, Uh, and I just it's been it's very frustrating. They're just going to be eight and eight forever. They'll probably, you know, they traded for Amari Cooper today, uh, and they'll probably be eight and eight again, and they'll be eight and eight forever. And Jason Garrett will be the coach forever, and that's just what it is. I know something that I've been complaining about for about basically since Garrett's second year. Again, nobody has been on the bandwagon of getting rid of Garrett um, until let's say the last two years. So I'd like to point out that this is. This is nothing new. This has been the same for a very long time. I think Romo covered up a lot of Garrett's faults because I think that Romo was essentially running the offense and he would get to the line, see the defense change the play, and he would make the play. And How good did they do with Romo? I don't think that's Romo's fault, but that's a whole nother. Well, that's the whole team's fault, though. I think that's Jerry Jones' fault. I think they built the team <laughs> poorly. And that's a whole, again, the Cowboys have so many issues that uh, I do this wearing my Cole Beasley t-shirt. Um, that it's just, it's, it's frustrating to watch them because you always think that, you know, two years ago they were really good. And then last year Zeke got suspended and things were up and down. And there are positives. The defense is young and fast and 
and they can play a little, but, and I, again, I don't think Dak is a stud, but I think in the right system, you can win with him. Um, and I don't think Garrett and Lenahan know how to create that system. The bottom line is this, uh, from an outsider's perspective, uh, if you have the ball at the 37-yard line with uh, 52 seconds left and one timeout and you only run basically two plays to set yourself up for a 47-yard field goal uh, in Washington to tie the game to go into overtime, that is horrendously bad coaching and being overly, overly conservative and I don't understand how he has not been fired yet. I mean, it, it's really... He knows where the bodies are buried. He must have something on has to be. <laughs> he's, been, he's been doing this for seven. He's, it's, it's every kicker has ever had at least a... 47, I feel like, is short for that for a game time. The game-winning kick. Like, it's not new, and his, his coaching style seems poor for any era of the NFL. Uh, I watched recently the Amazon Prime Cowboys uh, look like it's their Hard Knocks version. Uh, all in, I think it's called. Uh, you know, I was not paying me for that sponsorship. Um, so there's a line in the first episode where Garrett says everything's about uh, Zeke. Everything falls on Zeke. But how do you how do you coach a team like that? How do you how do you get that on tape and someone's here not have Plan B or any other? Like they have a talent, they had a talented offense last year. It just makes no sense to me. Well, I mean, footage that we could even be like. Even when they were good, let's say two years ago, and they were in the playoffs in that game against Green Bay, there was a similar situation where they were driving and they were moving the ball at will, and he had that clock it, and they weren't giving it to Zeke, and that ultimately they gave Rodgers enough time to make the plays that ended up, and Crosby set up the field goal for Crosby, and they won the game. I mean, Garrett's been doing the same crap for years, and there's no reason to think anything will change. You know, I, I've talked to Phil about this a lot this season. There's a point where you're just rooting for them to lose because you think the only way that Garrett will go is if they go three and 13. Um, but they're just, they're good enough to keep, to win a couple games. That's the problem. We've, we've mapped out the schedule with the hopes of what games they could lose. So we don't have to care anymore. Put it that way. That's how our, if you're wondering how we're watching the games, if that's really how it's, I can I can commiserate with that considering where the Giants are right now. So anyway, uh, to more happy news, um, we're going to uh, jump to the World Series, right? So uh, before the uh, baseball season started. Of poker? Who's playing the World Series? Oh, you, <laughs> uh, you guys got jokes. So Why before, is it called the World Series if it's two teams from America? That uh, Okay, all right. Because uh, there's no baseball outside of the, this hemisphere. <laughs> so anyway, to recap, um, you know, I... Our uh, pre-MLB uh, uh, predictions, I mean, just in general, I-, I think we were pretty good in terms of who we had, you know, at the end. Obviously, none of us had the Atlanta Braves winning the NL East. Um, I think we all had the uh, the Washington um, Nationals. I don't think any of us thought the Brewers were going to be this good. Um, but overall, I think we did a pretty decent job in, in terms of forecasting, no? Yeah, I was thinking... I mean, I, I remember thinking back and, and what we talked about, and I remember saying that if the Brewers had gone out and gotten a pitcher like an Arietta, then they were right there ready to to compete. And, you know, I mean, Yelich was an MVP this year. Or he should win the NL MVP. Um, and they were great. 
So we got that right. And again, yeah, the Braves arrived a little early and the Nationals fell apart. And I can't think of anything else. I mean, I, I also remember I got the Mets prediction pretty right where everything that went wrong, more or less, went wrong. And I said they were going to win like 75 games. What? Do you know how many wins the Mets finished with? Like, was it 76? I think they had 78, and I think they, I said they would have, like, 75 or 76. Um, the Mets are also another frustration. You know, they went, like, 5-20 and 20 in June or July, whatever that month was. And outside of that, they were not terrible, but, it was again, nothing to look forward to when they hired Omar Minaya again to be the GM. But that's for next season. So, yeah, we... Um, clarify, it oh, was sorry. Um, if I didn't say that before. And I believe my prediction was they'd be about an 80 win team. So I think I might have actually done better than most of them. Since there's no evidence of it anymore, <laughs> I'm going to say that I was right and we can move on. Unfortunately, sure. unfortunately, my old hosting service was free, and they deleted the episode. But we're on to bigger and better things now. So before <laughs> we, before we get into uh, the actual, you know, World Series, um, obviously, uh, being that I picked the Yankees to uh, represent the American League in the World Series over the Sox, I picked them in the series. Have to say, congrats to Phil. Um, all right, that's enough of that. Uh, so World Series. Oh, do- it's really an honor for them to be back in the World Series. Uh, <laughs> it's something I really. Really worked very hard with, and if I wasn't a Red Sox fan, I probably would have picked them to make the World Series beforehand. But I will never do that any year. Uh, I think we can go on now. So um, I'm on record of saying as a Yankee fan, I don't know what it is about this particular Red Sox season, but I've been a little saltier over this this Red Sox run and the fact that they embarrassed the Yankees in the uh, divisional round. But before we get on to the uh, the uh, Dodgers-Red Sox matchup... uh, Manny Machado's made a lot of headlines, um, you know, in the uh, NLCS, uh, whether him not running out ground balls, whether he's a dirty player. Uh, This guy is uh, obviously one of the unique talents. Um, He's a free agent at the end of the year and is going to command major, major dollars. Uh, I guess, uh, Moshe, starting with you, um, because uh, the Red Sox have a little bit of history with Manny Machado, so I'll get to Phil second. But starting with you, uh, what do you think of his antics at the moment, and do you think it cost him anything in terms of going into free agency? Uh, I don't think it'll cost him anything going into free agency, because at the end of the day, a player of his caliber, and he's still young, and there are a lot of teams that will that require or will be in the market for his services. I mean, he... Let's say the a team like the Mets in some crazy world where they spend money actually brought him in, and he, he elevates them. And pretty much, given you know the, the team that they have, and you get one other piece, and they're an immediate contender. That you know, that's just how good he is. Uh, in terms of the antics, I, th- I didn't like when he he kind of looked. What was that? Who was he tried to look like he went out of his way to step on that guy at first base? Um, Aguilar, and I don't, he had beef with Pedroia, right, Phil? That's what you're going to talk he about. Him out of, he knocked him out of the team. I mean, is he like the Chase Utley of, like Chase Utley is to the Mets as Manny Machado is to the Red Sox? Is that what the mm, no. Okay. Um, I believe, uh, to quote Tywin Lannister, Lions don't concern themselves with that of sheep or something like that. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, I mean, look, he's done some stupid stuff. I don't think he is a dirty player. I don't think his antics are going to cost him anything. I think the Red Sox fans will boo him heartily. And But he also, he has 
historically played pretty well against the Red Sox. Um, so I think it'll be fun to watch him do this for the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers would be wise to re-sign him uh, because if they had him and Seager, when Seager comes back in the stream, that team would just be dynamite. Uh, but yeah, I don't have any major issues with Machado. I don't have issues with any of kind of the more hot-headed players on either side. I think it makes it fun. I think it brings heat to a sport that is notoriously condemned to be boring. Um, so I think it just makes everything more interesting. I don't have problems with it. I'm excited for the World Series. Phil, your thoughts? Well, I have much of a sense on talking cost my money. I do disagree, though. Manny Machado is a dirty baseball player. Um, you watch him play. Um, obviously, there are the incidents involving the Red Sox, including Sidoria, when he he recleated him, and that's essentially ruined his season last year. Um, and then he he stepped on Aguilar's leg, where there's no business for that. And there are other smaller plays throughout his career um, where you have to question what his intentions are. Um, guys around the league have come. There have been people saying he's a dirty player. There's 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 no doubt about it, and it happens. There are dirty players when we play pickup basketball. I'm like up on my side. Like there's just people who they're they're not concerned with playing the right way. Um, he's. I don't think the Dodgers will resign him. They, if they resign him, it's because there wasn't a, another market for him that would have paid him that much money. I think I think a team that's on the come up would be good to to offer him a ton of money, like the White Sox or something, but they probably won't. Um, the fact that you have talked about the Mets, I know you don't think they'll sign him, but you are now the third Mets fan that I have heard say anything with related to Machado and the Mets. And for the safety of your mental health, and all the <laughs> mental health fan, the Mets fans out there, you just don't talk about it. Like, there's no, there's no reason to bring it up. When you see in a, in a month or two that there's a, a story like Mets talking to Machado, just ignore it. Just don't read the Roto World blurb. There's no reason to. If they sign him, it's because somebody accidentally took a Wilpon checkbook and, <laughs> and gave him like a term sheet with an extra zero on it, and that it'll be a complete accident. It's not going to happen. I mean, I am. I have no expectations that they'll sign Machado. I have no expectations that they'll sign anybody, which is just what makes all of this even more frustrating. You just got to, like, not think anything. You have to you know, bring it up. It's subconscious. Subconscious <laughs> is going to be in there. You know it is. And then when you see he signs with the Nationals and Harper goes somewhere else, he's like, well, I do if they didn't get Harper. They didn't resign Harper. They're going to get Machado. Like, that's, <laughs> you just got to really know it. And they won't, your, your wife will be happier. Rosie will be happier. That's Marsha's cat. Everyone will be happier for it. Well, Rosie will Rosie. Happy. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this from a Yankees perspective. For a team that actually, you know, plays in a big market and actually spends money, uh, I don't necessarily want them to sign Machado. Not because I think he's a dirty player. I just don't think another uh, power right-handed bat uh, is what the Yankees need. They need to uh, have a little bit of balance. I'd like them to play a little old-school baseball, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so now to the actual games. Uh, but for- also, like just to, on that point, the Yankees don't need to sign. I think if the Red Sox win the World Series, I think the Yankees are going to overreact and do some silly things. Of um, course. But they don't need to sign hitters. They need pitching. Uh, so signing, I mean, they already what? They set the record for most home runs in the season. They don't need Manny Machado. They have. No, we don't need Manny Machado of- at all. It's just. 
Uh, I'd like some contact hitters that hit for a higher average and get on base and can go first to third on singles to right field and, and do you know little things like that. That's what I want in terms of everyday hitters. But whatever. That, yeah, that, that's, I, I that, mean, that's for the The Yankees would have been fine if they had more pitching, I think. I mean, that, that's, well, that's true. I don't know too. if it ever actually could have happened, but I, I think they should have. If they should have tried, I would have traded one of their top young players for a guy like Jacob DeGrom. I think he makes the difference on a team like the Yankees. I mean, we saw it with Cedarino. He was so up and down. And you really don't know. I mean, he's going to be great for part of next year, but he might be terrible when it counts. And even though their bullpen was so good, like it didn't matter when you don't have starting pitching to get you there. Um, but, I mean, again, we'll talk about that next year. So we can talk about Last thing I'll say on the Yankees before we get to the um, the actual, you know, games that matter in a second is, and I say it all the time, they at the trade deadline, they went for Sonny Gray. They could have had Garrett Cole. They chose Sonny Gray. And that's a terrible mistake. And that's why they're in the situation they're in. But anyway, so Red Sox Dodgers. Um Phil, how how are you feeling going into this series, especially now that David Price actually has a postseason win to his name? Well, the only life anxiety that hits all of us hard on a day-to-day basis remains. And then you add the anxiety of having to watch uh, the Red Sox side of the series. Um, In a perfect world, I would lose 10 pounds and they would win, but odds are I'll gain 10 pounds and they'll lose. Uh, To be... To me, I mean, the total performance, I have the same theory I have as with the Yankees. It's, it's, it's very dependent on what you get out of Chris Sale. And if they get a great, great one start out of Chris Sale, even if Kershaw matches them, they, they, they need to split those first two games at home. And a good outing by Sale gives them that best chance. Price, sure. Price, hopefully, has turned a corner, but who, you're not going to expect that. I, I expect him to be fine. He's going to eat up innings, whether he goes four or five innings. If he gives up four runs, the Red Sox are going to score. They're not the type of team that, that gets shut out or only scores one run unless you got a Kershaw like a type on the mound. And even the better pitchers they hit. They they're very they're very complete on offense, even with the, especially with Jackie Bradley Junior hitting. And that's the big variable. He makes them scary. He's and, and he has been more like himself the last two to three months. But again, he's a guy who can go quiet for a series. Um, my biggest fear now that the bullpen has uh, the Braun Strowman of Major League Baseball and Ryan Brazier. Uh, is the that's, Dodgers? That's a reference I mean, lost on a lot of people, though. That's uh, okay. We're you know, I actually thought the whole demographic for this podcast was WWE fans. <laughs> that's what I was told. Um, the Dodgers bullpen is very good, and it could be a lot better than the Astros bullpen was, and the Yankees bullpen in the later part of that series. I mean, the Red Sox have found a way to hit these relievers regardless, but shut down bullpen efforts, keep teams in games, or put put games away. And I, it's all about what I see in those first two games from Sale and the Dodgers bullpen. And we'll, I can go from there. I think it'll be the, the non-Red Sox family sees the Red Sox winning in six games, but... I mean, what, <laughs> what what impresses me most about the Red Sox is just that you know, for all the um, their power that they had during the year, whether it was Mookie, whether it was JD Martinez, I mean, they don't seem to strike out a lot, um, and they seem to do like little things also for a team that hits that many home runs. And honestly, you know, it it's 
a, a real testament to the way they play. I mean, they, they play a really nice style of baseball, something I can't say about the uh, the New York Yankees. Yeah, I mean, J.D. hit 330. They, they, they have a lot of guys who hit for a high average you know, who also hit homers. Bogarts hit 25 homers or more than that. Also, makes great contact, gets on base. It's, it's a great recipe for success, and you get spoiled watching it year-round. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. I mean, I'd love for the Yankees to have a hitter like Ben Attendi, who may not mash 30 homers, but he gets on base, makes things happen, runs, does stuff. Like, that's exactly what the Yankees need. But anyway, enough about yeah, the Yankees. I, you know, I know that you are frustrated because the Yankees lost in the playoffs, but the Yankees are really, really good. Um, I'm, I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just saying that they – I. I understand. Like, their problems are not their offense. Like, Sanchez had a down year. Uh, Judge missed a chunk of time, but was still great. They have Andujar and Torres. Like, they're, they're fine. <laughs> they're, they're really, really good. Um, and also, I mean, hitting lots of dangers is also a fun way to play baseball. Sure, but there's, uh, there's no variety. And in playoff baseball, you need variety. But anyway, we're going to go back to the playoff games that actually matter. So... Moshe, as a um, as an, a really unbiased spectator here, what do you see in in this series that excites you the most to uh, to watch? Besides for just being you know uh, a hardcore baseball fan, well, I won't say I'm totally unbiased because my dad is a huge Dodgers fan. Okay. Um, so as much as I you know for Phil's mental health, I you know Red Sox would be good. My dad. He has the Dodgers' last one in 1988. He actually said yesterday that he feels this is a 1988 situation where no one expects them to win. Um, so it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. Uh, I think a couple of interesting things, I'm surprised you didn't touch on this, Bill. The games in Dodger Stadium, games 3, 4, and 5, the Red Sox, there's been some chatter that they're going to put Mookie Betts at second base. And so J.D. Martinez keeps him in the lineup, put him in right field. Where he is, that is, I believe, J.D.'s natural position. But Mookie's one of, if arguably, the best defensive outfielder in baseball. So I, I think, Phil, what are your thoughts on how that might impact? Are you worried about things defensively without Mookie in the outfield? Uh, I mean, I'm not too worried. The other option they have is to fit Bradley. Um, also, especially considering how many lefties the Dodgers might throw out. They might end up sitting Bradley one game. Uh, put, put Mookie at center. Uh, I'm not worried about it. It, it, it is unfortunate, um, but it's also it, it, you can't be upset about it. I mean, they got to do it. Like there's no way around it. So whatever happens, happens. I can't sit here complaining about having to play Mookie Betts at second base so we can get Ian Kinsler out of the lineup. You know, I can't really be upset about it. Um, but uh, in terms of what I'm excited about, I mean, I think these are two really fun teams. Uh, I think you have a lot of fun players on both sides. I think Puig is really exciting um, to watch. I mean, you look at guys like Max, Max Muncy, who the Dodgers have took off the scrap heap from the Athletics, and he hit 30 homers this year. Uh, Bellinger. I think, you know, defensive issues on both sides, or really defensive issues for the Dodgers, if Grandal is as bad as he was um, throughout the rest of the playoffs, the Red Sox have guys who can run and steal bases, and they're going to take advantage of that. And then there's always the the Kershaw conundrum where, you know, he's not as good as he used to be, obviously. He's older. He's been hurt. 
Um, but there's still that monkey on his back where every time he has a not her shot as, as we've known to know type performance in the playoffs, you know, this could be, he, he has an opt out. I, I believe after this season, this could be his last run with the Dodgers. Um, so as Phil alluded to the Kershaw sale starts, which feasibly could be games one, four and seven are just going to be enormous. I think, I mean, sale and Kershaw doesn't get much better than that. So, What's fun about this series is it's not just all offense or all pitching. Both sides have great pitching. Um, both sides have guys who can rake. And, again, also guys who can get on base and, quote-unquote, play the game the right way. Um, and it could come down to bullpen. Kimbrell looked pretty shaky. I think there were some issues that he was maybe tipping his pitches, which were allowing hitters to lay off some of his really nasty stuff that ends up out of the strike zone and he was falling behind. And the Dodgers have a good bullpen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I think if I had, I think, I'm going to say that the Dodgers will win in seven. Phil, Phil, does the um, does the bullpen, you know, worry you as much as it has in the past? Uh, less, more? I mean, obviously the games are, what's up? I want to address Moshe. Okay. Uh, you can pick, you get to pick your father, not your friend, okay? <laughs> yes, that's that's the same. I was going to say something a lot more morbid, but I went with that. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not worried about the bullpen. I mean, Kim brought a rough series. I mean, odds are, if I, at my time at work, actually not at work, I do my work at work, um, I looked up pictures over the last, Five hundred innings of their career. I know Kimbrel's a reliever, and it's different starters in the same span. But Kimbrel's one of the best, one of the best pitchers in over anyone's last five hundred innings. And he's 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 been a little shaky with his control, but he's also pitching against very good lineups. He's facing good hitters. I mean, it's not a matter of uh, him going up against the Orioles or the Rays or the White Sox. He's facing the best of the best. I mean, this is this is what, when he gets down to it at the end of the year. He's really He's got to work on his control. And the Dodgers are a little more similar to the Yankees in that they don't have too many guys who hit for a very high average. They have a lot of power guys. Um, I like the matchup for the Red Sox bullpen against the Dodgers, just like I did for their bullpen against the Yankees. They pitch like they have been this postseason. I'm, I'm actually not concerned about their bullpen whatsoever. It's, let's see if they, it's a matter of seeing what they bring in the first two games. A lot of left-handed starting. I mean, you got Kershaw, Hill... And uh, Ryu, so that's at least three left. I mean, that's right. That's good for the Red Sox. Yeah, because you got Benintendi hits lefty, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's facing a lefty. That's JD, and then it helps guys like when that Kinsler does play. It helps Bogarts. It helps the catcher. It helps Vasquez when he plays. I, I'm 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 ready for the series to start, frankly, and I want I want to see what we get from Sale in Game One. I'm on the I'm on the Chris Sale. Um, bandwagon in the sense that I'm hoping that it really was just a belly button ring that caused an infection and he's 100% now. So you're of the opinion hold on one second, so you're of the opinion that basically that game one is the most important game of the series that it really just dictates how the series is going to go Well it normally is the most important game of almost any series in any postseason, any sport I mean the Red Sox just won four straight against the Astros, they didn't win game one, did they? Oh, I'm sorry. My mistake. It's okay. I 
it's no different, yes. In the tough series, that game, as soon as that game four, maybe you can argue it's the most important game. Truthfully, the most important game is every game as they come out. But if we're looking at the series, if you go down 0-1 at home, you've dug yourself uh, a pretty big hole. Uh, luckily, when you go to L.A., and you, know, you saw the Red Sox are undefeated on the road to mark the playoffs, uh, L.A. is not exactly the wildest crowd. So there's a little more hope. But if you, it's more so if you see Salem has nothing and they lose that game, they're in, they're in real trouble. Like, I got lucky in the sense that Sale had nothing against Houston and they still won. But, man, that was... If I told you the Red Sox were one and five after that first game, I would have been lying right to your face. Yeah, but if, that's what happens. The Red Sox win the World Series, though, and Sale has two dominant starts. Will you get a belly button ring? Again? I mean, there's no room for two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you said, you know, the Dodger Stadium is not a crazy place to play. I mean, I think it'll be interesting... You have Boston's going to be freezing. Dodger Stadium is going to be beautiful. Um, but Tobin has, if the LeBron Lakers debut was the same night as the Dodgers Game Seven, which would get more hoopla in LA? Um, I think LeBron's debut, honestly, as crazy as that sounds, I don't even no, think you're, it. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, I don't even think it's close. Um, it's so not. that's the kind of. And you're also looking at the key evidence. The Mets won a decisive Game Five in LA. That means anybody could ever could win any game at any time at Dodger Stadium. All right. So uh, on that note, yes. so so Phil, so you're on, you know, prediction now, taking your heart out of it uh, as much as possible, uh, your negativity, your positivity. Um, how do you see the series playing out? I I think. Oh, this is a killer. I mean, So you got Red Sox and six. Moshe, what do you got? I mean, I do want to say that I think the most important game is the friendships that we make along the way. <laughs> and I think that is what's really important about the World Series. But I think the Dodgers are going to win. I agree with Phil that, that the series goes back to Boston. I think the Dodgers are coming off a series where they had to beat. They beat a very good Milwaukee team with a good lineup. Um, and they had to go win some big games in a place that was really starved for baseball success, and it was a rabid atmosphere. Um, and they really kind of dominated in Game 7. Um, so I am going to hold with my Dodgers in 7. I think Kershaw finally gets his ring, uh, and then he either retires or he is comfortable opting out or he just takes less money because he doesn't need the ring anymore. Um, think he's, but that's higher? Higher. he's been hurt. I don't know. He could. He, he barely. The last two seasons, he's missed a big chunk of time. 
Uh, he's getting a hundred, hundred fifty million dollars in the off season from somebody. I don't think he's retiring anytime soon. I have the Dodgers winning in seven as well. And I honestly think that in this scenario, with it being 2-3-2, I think that actually really hurts the Red Sox. Um, Having to play weird defensive lineups to get all their hitters in, I I think that comes back to bite them one one or two of those games in, in some moments there. And maybe that's just me, you know, picking against the Red Sox because I can't in good conscience pick them to win. But I just think not having the DH uh, is really going to hurt the Red Sox in this series. Guys, the fact that both of you picked the, the Dodgers only makes you feel better. As, as you should because I, I picked against the Red Sox earlier. So there you go. Congratulations, what's Phil. The, what's the thought, you know, Tobin, as you're a huge basketball fan, where they do the uh... – Two two one one one. They used to do the 2-3-2 also. I think the 2-3-2 two, two, two favors the team with the three games straight. I really do. But that's why basketball, you, you, you play the whole season. Home court, I mean, I don't know if it's the same now, but home court used to be a lot more important than basketball, so they wanted to give it to the teams with the higher seed. To, uh, you know, that's why they changed to the one one one. Um I also got to say, it sounds really, like, there's a really nice pleasant pleasantness when Moshe says 2-2-1-1-1. I got to say, you about to say, I'm going to need that clip down and all right, all right, all right, fine. So on that note, uh, because we're running low on time, uh, guys, thanks so much for doing this. I know we've tried uh, and failed before in terms of scheduling, but at least we got this one in. I really appreciate you guys appreciate you guys coming on and, and doing this, and um, speak to you guys soon, and best of luck, Phil, even though I don't really mean it. All right, thanks again to uh, Phil Bausk, Moshe Cook. Uh, the audio got a little weird at the end. The, the call got dropped, but uh, we were wrapping up anyway. So that's episode 35 of For the Love of the Game. Take us out, Travis Scott. When I shoot my shot, that shit wetty like on Shaq. See the shots that I took, wet like on Book, wet like on Lizzie. I be spinning valley circle blocks till I'm busy. Like where is he? No one's seen him. Trying to clean them, yeah. She's in love with who I am. Back in high school, I used to bust it to the dance. Now I hit the FBO with duffels in my hands. Ooh. I did half a Zan, 13 hours till I land. Had me out like a light, 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 yeah. like a light, like a light. Yeah, past the dogs and sell, he's sending texts, ain't sending guys. Yeah, he say keep that on lock. I say, you know, this shit is tight. Yeah, it's absolute. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.